This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. We don't for sure know the author. More than likely, you know, the, the, you know theologians say that it could be Apollos, who was a protege of Paul, a very eloquent speaker. I actually believe that's pretty, pretty, you know, there's a high potential of that just because of the eloquence of the words that he uses in this book. But Hebrews is where that very scripture is actually played out where God, you know, spoke to me that, hey, everything that can't be shaken will be shaken, you know, that whole thing. We're, we're going to get to that, not tonight, but I need to dive into Hebrews because I feel like there's some things the church needs to hear right now to get us positioned correctly to be postured in a way where we're fruitful. Everybody say fruitful. This is what God wants. He wants fruitfulness from our lives. He invests and he's looking for a return on his investment. Not like a business guy does, okay? This isn't some corporate Jesus corporation. He's just, he puts himself inside of us and there's an automatic return from that reality because God is powerful. He's bigger than anything else in the world. Do you believe that? Say amen, all right? So we're gonna turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. And I wanna just read this over us. The writer here is saying, therefore, so there's, there's something that he said before this, which is in chapter 11. We're going to briefly look at that tonight. And, and, and so there's some context here. But he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what does he say? Let us throw off everything. I love those kind of absolute statements by God. It's not like he's saying, let us throw off a few things or 50% of things. He says, let us throw off Come on, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We're going to look at that in just a minute. And let us what? Run. And not only run, not only just be a sprinter and then run for a little bit, but run with endurance the race that has been what? Marked out for us. What I want everybody to get, I just got to pause right here. This is not what I was going to talk about tonight. But listen, God has a race marked out for every single person in this room. And he has a desire for you to run it with endurance. And he has a desire for you to finish well in the race that he's marked out for you. And I think the Holy Spirit is zealous and passionate about seeing that happen in everybody's lives. I think everybody has a dream, right? People want to live a life of significance. But how many people actually do? And there's a reason why he's writing this verse. In 1981, okay, I think I was 12 years old, there was a movie that came out called The Chariots of Fire. For all those that weren't born in 1981, let me just share a little bit of what that movie was about, okay? It was a true story of two Olympians by the way, the, the movie Chariots of Fire, the reason they named it, this was a, a secular film, okay, a true story about these two guys, but the reason they named it Chariots of Fire is because of the connotation in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. You'll have to go read that for yourself, but there's Chariots of Fire, right? And so they're, they're, they're making this movie about the story of two runners from the University of Cambridge in England, and these guys 
Harold Abrams, who was Jewish, and Eric Little, who was a Christian, actually born to Scottish missionaries in China. So he's, their family's from Scotland, moved to China. He was born there. He moved back to England. They were two gold medalists in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Abrams in the 100 meter and Little in the 400 meter, which was interesting because neither of those were their races. They actually were better at other races. And I think there's something significant to this as we, t we get into this a little bit later, as you're, you're going to see a little bit later. But the movie opens up with this, with this funeral scene in London in 1978 to, to honor Harold Abrams' life, the former colleague of, of and, and, and uh, teammate of Andrew Lindsay. And during this scene, there's this flashback. Because, I mean, you know, life goes by really quick, right? And then when death comes, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is like, we only have so many moments here in this life, right? And you're kind of, you know, if you've ever been to a funeral, it's like, oh, my gosh, just mortality, just the reality of our mortality kind of hits you. And you kind of go, oh, my gosh, I want to wake up. I want to do what I'm supposed to be doing. And there's this flashback to them when they were younger running on the beach. Dun, 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 dun. It's this musical that will make you like run through a brick wall if you. It's like, it's like, I, I, and I remember watching that film, and it was in the dead of winter when it came out. And I'm from Montana, streets covered with snow, like probably 10 degrees to 20 degrees below zero in that in that frame, time frame, like. And I just felt like, man, I want to I wanna run. I was 12. I didn't even think it was that big of a deal back then. Now I'm looking back and I'm thinking, man, I was a 12-year-old. I was getting up at 5 in the morning and running like the chariots of fire down my snowpack streets in Montana. Dun, 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 you know, because I had a desire in my heart to be an Olympic champion in downhill ski racing. Which what some of you, what you guys don't know about me is actually my best sport growing up. What I excelled at the most was ski racing, giant slalom, slalom, downhill ski racing. Like, dude, I was good. All right. <laughs> I was humble too. All right. Back then, really humble. But I would be out there and there's something about not sprinting, but like getting into it. I'm not a distance runner. Okay. I'm a short twitch muscle guy with very high arches. I'm a sprinter all the way. But like, there's something about running, hitting that wall, and then pushing through. They actually call it a runner's high. It's like, and then you get in this mode, and you're like, nothing can stop me. The dun, 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 dun. Y'all better go watch Chariots of Fire. I was telling him. This guy, Andrew Lindsay, um, well, they actually have a monument to his life. This gold medalist that was at his friend's funeral ended up himself perishing on the mission field. It's quite a story. And he, he was dating this girl in college and he actually missed church on a Sunday. God forbid, right? You know, and she gave him like the religious like, what are you doing? You're not, what are you missing church? What are you, and you're, you're out there running. And here's what he said. He said, he said, I feel divinely inspired when I'm running for him. And if I don't, I feel like I would dishonor God. 
because the Lord wanted to use him in his race to see glory come to Jesus. Awesome. There's people like this that have gone before us and laid groundwork and foundation for the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to look back with me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything and let us run with perseverance. That actually means, by the way, cheerful, cheerful endurance. Did you know this one right here is a crazy thought? You can be happy and be a Christian. You can actually be filled with joy. It's not a profound thought. You can actually run a race, sometimes painful, sometimes has ups and downs. And at the end of this thing, you can be happy. All right? And so that's what it says. It says, listen, run this race with cheerful endurance, the one that God has marked out for you. So what's the context here of surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses? Well, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, I don't have time to dig into this too much tonight. You're going to have to study it on your own. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, look at this with me. He says, he talks about the great cloud of witness that's gone before us. He says, these were all commended for their what? Faith. And he's actually going to refer to Old Testament believers. Old Testament believers, meaning they didn't have the presence of God dwelling in them all the time with the Holy Spirit like we do today. You know, there was touching downs of God coming and showing up in their midst, but it wasn't a constant. It was a completely different, you know, ethos in terms of like how the kingdom of God was moving during that time. And it says, yet all were commended for their faith. Yet look at this. It says, none of them received what they were promised. But guess what? With cheerful endurance, they kept on running. There was the grace of God somehow in their hearts to keep on running. Who were these people? Abel, who, who brought God a better sacrifice than Cain. Enoch, who pleased God, the word says. Noah, who built an ark. Can you imagine just moving somewhere and saying, oh, I just need to build this ark. Rain's coming and there's going to be this big flood. Can you imagine the backlash that you would get for something like that? Think about it. These are true stories. These aren't like little made-up Bible stories. This stuff really happened, okay? Abraham, who obeyed God and went, followed him to a land that he didn't even know where he was going. Sarah, who considered God faithful to the promise, which was to have a son, which she, she was way beyond childbearing years. These are impossibility situations. Do you understand that? Yet they kept running. There's a ton of other people in Hebrews cha chapter 11 where they're being commended for their faith and their cheerful endurance to set the stage for something greater. Verse 13, it says that all these people were still living by faith when they died. Oh my goodness. What would it be like if at our death, they did not receive the things that they were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. You want to talk about a tough calling. It's like, that's, 
that's tough stuff right there. Like, hey, you're probably never going to see this, but keep going, keep running. I'm going to show you some glimpses into what's coming, but you're actually not going to really step into this. And they did it. But they admitted they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. They lived a life of faith in action. Faith without works, or in other words, us doing something, the Bible says is what? Dead. We're not doing, we're going to get to this in a minute, we're not doing this out of our own abilities or anything like that, but if we're not having faith that inspires us to go do something, we're actually dead. What did that faith in action look like? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he says, faith is confidence and what we hope for, and assurance of things that we can't see. Oh my gosh. Do we have faith today? God wants to grow our faith where there's confidence and there's assurance, even in things we don't see. That's living a life of faith. So what's the difference between the life of faith that they lived and the one that we're called to live? That's kind of the question I want to answer tonight. What's the difference? Because what life they lived, now we're called to what? Run. Cast off everything that hinders us. It's a moment that's different than the moment that they had. It really is. Verse 39 and 40, it says, they were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better, this is crazy. For who? Come on, everybody. For who? For who? Us. Could we have like some sobriety on that tonight? Like, can you imagine? He had something better for another generation. Why us? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought about that? I remember when I got saved in college. I I wasn't raised in church. I had no experience with God, nothing Christian growing up or anything. And I remember when I got saved, I had this, this thing in my heart like, why me? And you know what that why me did in my heart? It, it, it gave me the fear of the Lord that if I have been touched in this way when no one else has, I better take this responsible. I better take this very serious and responsibility because I've been given something that no one else has been given. And think about it in the context of this. We've been given something that an entire hundred thousand, four or five thousand, I think it was 4,000 years of history hadn't been given. But it says that, so only together. This is where we don't understand the mystery of God here and now. The, the, the here moment of life that we're living with time clocks and stuff to eternity and people that have gone on before. It says here that only, it says that only together with us they would be made perfect. Who understands the sovereign plan of God? But they had a specific race. They had a specific assignment that they fulfilled that was part of their earth school, if you will, that they graduated from, that only sets the tone for what's going to be next. This isn't it, okay? 
It's going to be glorious here, but this is only a small part of what our lives are going to look like in terms of walking with God. Do you understand that? And the way that we run this race is super important to prep us and position us for the eons of eternity. It's time to wake up. It's time to run. In other words, we have the potential to actually, this is what's crazy, see the fulfillment of God in what he's promised in our actual lifetime. They didn't. Am I the only one happy about this or excited about it? <laughs> this is really good. And what is the reason for that? Why us now? And it's because we have the capacity to actually understand who Jesus is. When they didn't understand who Jesus is. Although Jesus was showing up in the Old Testament, they just didn't know that's what, that was Jesus. They didn't know anything about Jesus. They didn't have any concept of the Son of God, right? But we do. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. What did he say? Fixing our eyes on who? The what? Author and what? Perfect finisher of our faith. It's like he, he, he set it in motion, and he's the one that's going to complete it, y'all. Ain't going to be you. But he needs your yes. He needs you to say, oh, my gosh, I see this. I'm going to step up, and I'm going to run. The writer of Hebrews like wants us to kind of meditate on this man, Jesus. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 12, he says, Considered, Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, pause. Why should we consider Jesus who didn't grow weary? And lose heart. Why? Should, how should that inspire us? Because he lives on the inside of you. So what he carried, guess what? You now carry. We're gonna get into. I'm, I'm bringing this home, but but I gotta I gotta set the stage. Okay. Are you still running the race with not just run, I'm running, Darren, I'm running. Hate marathons, awful. No, are you running with cheerful endurance? So, Wendy, hey, listen, it's time to be happy right now. It really is. I'm feeling that. Okay? Because we need to na- learn how to navigate grief in a healthy way. Did you know that? There's, there's, Six stages of grief. I don't, I'm not going to go into this. I'm just going to have, have John put this up. Um, there's, there's six stages of grief. There is denial. Something bad happens. What do we do? No, this couldn't be. This, this, no, this couldn't be happening to me. This happens to somebody else. Then when you kind of realize it really is happening to you, guess what happens? You get angry. Okay? Then you start bargaining with God. Everybody, anybody been in a bad situation that where you're like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Lord, if you just answer this prayer and then you start saying, I will never, and then you fill in the blank. 
It's like the only time that we really go, oh my gosh, Lord, I'm serious now. Like, and then he answers, and then we're right back to where we were before. I know that because I've done that. Come on, somebody. <laughs> then you can get into depression. Did you know that? You can get depressed in grief. Then you kind of can accept it. This is when you're starting to turn the corner. And then there's the last stage, which is where you find meaning or hope or purpose in it. Okay? Guess what? Grief is going to come all of our way in life. Darren, I want to hear that. That's a bad confession. No, it's truth. You are going to experience grief. The thing is, God doesn't want you stuck in any of the stages of it. He wants you to progress through them. Okay? There's this really interesting portion, and it's it's tricky theologically, so I'm praying I can really explain it to you in like two minutes to give you the proper context, but it's talking in Hebrews chapter 12 about the discipline of the Lord. But for those of you that got spanked really bad by your parents, you're going to have a hard time like really even understanding what I'm talking about. Anybody have the parents you're like, Darren, because I was I was one of those kids that pushed my mom <laughs> to the limb. Darren, pick the spoon or the belt. It's your choice. Which one do you want? <laughs> you know, uh, neither. <laughs> my mom, we laughed about this for. I was such a rambunctious five year old. She was cooking in the kitchen one time. She didn't really mean to do this, but she had a pan in her hand and then just kind of went bonk and I knocked me out. Okay, five years old. Concussed right there, five years old, concussion time. I'm like, I get it now that I have kids, right? But so when we're talking about the discipline of the Lord, I want to put it in proper context for what God's actually saying. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. He says to what? Endure hardship. So there's something about God's working in our lives In other words, discipline is where he's actually teaching us how to healthily endure hardship. I wish I could say that an easy life makes powerful people, but it doesn't. Since Juan and Savannah are here tonight, I just want to brag on them. I'm not saying this because he's my son-in-law and she's my daughter, but I have seen them grow in the last year and a half, two years. And they have walked through some stuff. And I've seen them navigate beautifully and healthily the, the, the aspects of grief. And you know what I've seen on the fruit on the other side? I've seen powerful people beginning to arise. I look around this room. I know your stories. I know what you've gone through. And I see power on you. God is, is coming and he's allowing us. You know, he, he's not the author of bad things. Do we understand that? He is not the author of bad things. God, who is life, cannot come and bring death to us to try to teach us lessons. But what he does is he empowers us to navigate these things and then in the end find meaning through our circumstances so that we can come to other people that are walking through these same things and give them hope in the midst of it. Come on, somebody. Hebrews 11, 12, 12, 11 says that no discipline or tutorage, the, the word dis- discipline literally means tutorage or discipleship. 
We don't have discipleship in churches now, right? But he says, those who are being discipled doesn't seem pleasant at times, but painful. But later on, what does it produce? A harvest. Fruit. It produces fruit from our lives. Those who have been trained by the Lord to endure hardships are the ones who experience a harvest, period. It's time to run. So back to 12, verse 1. Band can come up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. And this is very important, the things that I need to say here, because I want to give you practical things to walk out of this room with. All that's been good foundation, but I want you to get what he wants you to hear tonight. He says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's hit that throw off everything that hinders thing. If you're called to run and you have a piano on your back, especially if it's a long race, how many of you know that is not awesome? At South Carolina, Wendy was on, on the part of the team when I was there. We were training. They had us pole vaulters who were all just sprinters, like speed demons and stuff. They had us run every year for time a 300-meter race, okay? And so we would start out first 100. We're just going like, I was going to say something bad, but I'm going to put another phrase that wasn't awesome. But I, but we were just, we're just going for it. And I'm like thinking, I'm like walking the street, but then I know, like I'm just cruising, I'm moving. The second hundred is on the curve, which is a lot of fun because it, it seems shorter, even though it's the same distance. And then you come off that curve and it's like a hundred monkeys just jumped on your back. And you're going just, get it, go, go. And these other guys are like, and it's, you know, there's ego, right? Like in those times. And I'm like, I ain't, I ain't coming in last year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least get to the, and you're just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Man, I want to cross that line. Anybody ever push themselves to like where, where I'm just like throw? She had to like take me home on a golf cart. I was that that I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. When did the, <laughs> oh, I had monkeys on my back. I wanted those things off on that last hundred. But Hebrews 12 says, and he's talking about the grace of God. He he says. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. In, in other words, if you're tired, if you're feeling heavy, get rid of that thing. Don't allow that to rest on your shoulders for long at all. He said, get rid of it. We love, it's kind of like identity, like it's broken identity in the church, but we're like, oh, serving the Lord is just such a burden. because we're burned out, we're tired, exhausted. Get rid of that, okay? Strengthen your arms. And then he says, this is where I want to land. He says, and the sin that so easily entangles. Sin, if you look it up, foundational contextual meaning means missing the mark, okay? When you shoot an arrow, if it misses outside the bullseye, the purpose and intention for our lives the person would go, sin, you missed the mark. So there's some things 
that he says that are we're missing the mark and they're entangling us. They're like all wrapped up in us, entangling us. The word entangle, and I want you to remember this, it means to successfully oppose a racer from every angle. I'm not going to say there's demons behind every bush, but I will say this. There's an enemy of your soul that wants to put heaviness on your shoulders, and he wants to come and, and entangle you as a runner for the kingdom. If he can do this, you may be going to heaven, but you're not bringing heaven here at all. And he's fine with that. He can't change the heaven thing, but what he can do is try to oppose you as a runner from every angle. So, what are the angles as we close? There's four of them. And I actually believe they build on one another. So when the first one sets in, you're more vulnerable to the second. Okay? And the first one, and this is crazy, this should not be the case in church. It is relational conflict. We got to get honest and real about this. The church has not been a safe place for people, and that is horrific. Relational conflict could be in the church, could be in marriage, could be in friendships, right? He says in Hebrews, I'll back this up, scripture, Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort. When he can tell you, in case there's any word on the streets about relational conflict within the harbor, I and her, our team, our culture, we make every effort to try to bridge those gaps when they come. I promise you before Jesus. Because I know this, the, 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 the importance of this. Did you know that the Bible says that the world will know that we're his disciples by what? Our gifts, our great worship, our eloquent preaching, our incredible buildings? No, by the love that we have what? For one another. Make every effort. So when relational conflict gets in your heart, then here's what happens next, self-effort. Verse 15. This is awesome language. He said, see it that no one. You follow me? Nobody falls short of the grace of God. The grace of there, what that means is divine enabling power to give you the ability to do what you've been called to do. But when you get all jacked up in relationship mess, because here's the thing, our relationship here affects the relationship there. I, I, I can't stand it when, when super spiritual Christians go, man, you know, I'm not getting along with anybody. I don't like the church anymore. It's just me and Jesus. No, it ain't you and Jesus. It ain't you and Jesus. It's just you and you. It's you and you. You've become Jesus now. You, you've become the church. No, it's love for God and how that whole thing works. It's fleshed out right here. So there's, there's something God is up to as it relates to, you know, us in that space. Then trying to, we, now we're on our own, so we're going to do it all in our own strength. I was telling Kenyo the other day on a phone call, 
I was thinking back to like almost 20 years ago, right out here in Coral Springs, we used to meet in the upstairs building of another church that actually is just right right across the way here. They graciously gave us their space. And we, man, we, we thought, oh, this is awesome. We got oh, some space here. We got some, some gear. We got some team members. And, and the Lord wanted to teach us something. We got into that, that space. And Justin experienced this too. He was our worship leader at the time. I was mostly the speaker. And we'd get up there to do these Wednesday nights. And, and the Lord would just kind of remove his grace upon us. I was like, I want to run out of this building right now. When you don't have God, if you've, if you've been, anybody felt like just, man, God is with me right now. And then when he, it's, it doesn't, he's not a guy that just takes away. I'm just, I think he was teaching me a lesson. He's like, Darren, outside of my empowerment of your life, you really can't accomplish anything eternal. The world teaches just get a little more zealous. Get more excited. Bring your gifts to bear here. No, it doesn't work. He uses all those things, but he doesn't want us to walk in self-effort. Third, offense. Because now we're mad at people and we're mad at God. Lord, this just ain't working. I just don't know why I hate everybody. He says, verse 15, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And this is heavy, but the last one that shuts things down is sexual immorality. Because now you're just looking for something to make you feel validated, loved, beautiful. And the enemy's right there to play into that. He says, see that no one is sexually immoral, godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Can you imagine foregoing the very blessing and destiny that you've been given? Let us cast off. Let us become unentangled. And let us run with cheerful endurance. This beautiful race that's been marked out for us. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.